the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by SpotTrack.com. Merry Christmas to me. This was a sort of emergency podcast. I was debating about whether or not I was going to get out here before the holiday season started. And then the Mets gave me another Christmas present <laughs> um, in Carlos Correa. We'll get to that in a moment. The uh, the NFL is back in the news. Remember them? Major League Baseball has sort of dominated the airwaves a little bit here. But the NFL is back. And it's the Pro Bowl, believe it or not. And it's fascinating. I'm not going to watch the game. And half the guys I'm about to talk about aren't going to be playing in the game. <laughs> That's the nature of the beast. That is the NFL Pro Bowl. There's a lot of money involved in this. And I'm not going to go through every single bonus because... A, I don't have every single bonus available. It's just not public information. We try to confirm as much as possible. I've got about a dozen, you know, bonuses, escalators, things like that that are built in. Some are extremely interesting. Some, you know, are just run-of-the-mill kind of workout bonuses. These rosters are absolutely loaded with experienced, high-priced talent. More so than I've ever seen. I don't have the data in front of me. I'm sure I could have Scott run it out of our database and give me some kind of proof to go along with this. But I'm telling you right now, I've done this financial article every year for the better part of a decade. And it just feels like the superstar players have either been paid in quicker fashion, right? So they're getting earlier extensions, top of the market extensions, and or those players are just kind of running the league right now it's maybe not the young league that we thought it was that we had concerns about was the rookie wage scale going to destroy the nfl it's pretty healthy right now in a lot of positions and yeah there's some that are going to stand out like a sore thumb i'll get to it here's the here's the stat i want you to take away from this there's a few dozen players here and they're grouped into essentially 17 position groups 11 of those position groups have the highest paid player at that position on the Pro Bowl roster. That's unprecedented because if you've stuck around with our podcast for a couple of years now, you've heard me kind of go to that well a few times. Come playoff time, come Super Bowl time. It almost never pays off. Almost never. Certain positions, it just, just doesn't matter. But in most cases, that highest paid player is a financial detriment. Some teams can game the system a little bit. Some teams get lucky. It never happens for quarterbacks, by the way. Never. Never, never, never. We'll be back to that conversation in just a few short weeks when we're talking about percentage of cap that the quarterbacks in the Super Bowl are, are sitting at. And if it's somewhere around the 9 to 11% mark, it's going to be right on point. Because since 2011, I think the average is about 8, 8.5% percent of the cap. So to throw the number, 11 of 17 position groups had their highest paid player at least get to this point. Now look, Pro Bowl doesn't mean playoffs. Pro Bowl doesn't mean Super Bowl for sure. But it's a moniker and we're here. And I'm telling you right now, it just feels like this is a more expensive Pro Bowl roster than we've had possibly ever if you account for inflation and all that good stuff. Just feels like the big, guy, the big boys all made it. Guess where they didn't make it? (laughs) 
of the position groups, there is not a single position that doesn't have a top four paid player except the quarterback. It took the number five paid quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, to make the list as the highest paid quarterback to make the Pro Bowl. That's Bonkersville. No, many should many think Patrick Mahomes should be the highest average paid player still. I think I'm in that camp, <laughs> you know? But that's that's alarming. Especially as we dive into these quarterbacks more and the stability of their contract and are there should their teams have this contract? Are they tradable? Yada yada yada. This is more proof that I know how important that position is, but that contract with the weight and the guarantee that it now brings is risky as hell. So for you Aaron Rodgers fans, for you Matt Stafford fans, certainly for you Kyler Murray fans, I hope next year goes better. Let's put it that way. Um, Of the quarterbacks that made it, Mahomes and Allen were locks, and their contracts are locks. Geno Smith gets an extra 500000 which raises his 2022 salary to $4 million. <laughs> uh, they've already stolen that situation in Seattle. Now they're going to have to pay it. And we'll have a conversation soon, probably right after the new year, maybe two more weeks of NFL games. I kind of want to see how 16 and 17 roll out here with Seattle as they uh, kind of peter down here. Before we start really talk- talking $32 million franchise tag for Geno Smith or $30 million multi-year guaranteed contract for Geno Smith. I, I feel like that conversation has softened a bit, but here he is in the Pro Bowl with an extra half a million dollars. Good for him. Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow here, of course. They are absolutely guaranteed, $100 million plus guaranteed this offseason, in my opinion. Cincinnati has been prepping for this. I don't think the Philadelphia Eagles have a choice. They may decide to wait because this style of running of quarterback has been risky to bring that word back into the conversation. And the Kyler Murray stuff has got to be scaring people right now. And the Lamar holdout stuff has to be in the back of the minds of Howie Roseman in Philadelphia. But he's at the top of the list right now. He's a $45 million quarterback in our system. I don't know how either side says no at this point. Let's get to running backs quickly. Four of the six running backs selected are on expiring contracts. Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders. It's just a small piece of the free agent running back puzzle. I'm going to give you, at some point in time this, uh, this winter, 14 names. And you'd probably take any of them. Really at any price. Is the market going to get diluted because of it? Absolutely. Is Bar- are Barkley and Jacobs still going to cash in? Maybe. But it might take a franchise tag to do it. It might. And that, I'm not even sure that's good business. So four of the six expiring contracts, Derrick Henry probably sees the final year of his deal next year with the flux that Tennessee is going to get themselves into this offseason, probably at the quarterback position as well. So they probably just say, let's just keep you where you are, let that contract expire, and then probably move on at that point. Nick Chubb's pretty safe. Two years left, and uh, I'm sure they're happy with it. The highest paid fullback. Kyle Juszczyk makes the list. The highest paid wide receiver and the second highest paid wide receiver in Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams make the list. Both of those guys get $250,000 bonuses. 
and Terry McLaurin gets an extra 250 next year on his salary for his Pro Bowl nod. A couple of youngsters, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Jefferson becomes extension eligible this winter. Chase has to wait one more year. Um, we've talked about the Jefferson value a bit before. It's only increasing every week. He is worth everything and more. Um, if A.J. Brown's $25 million is that rookie extension barometer right now, you know, we're talking 28. And if he needs to go ahead of Tyreek Hill's 30, nobody in the world is going to complain. He has, to, <laughs> he has shown up in every big moment for a team that has needed it right down to the last play. So that's how this looks. Looked. And by the way, CeeDee Lamb makes this Pro Bowl list and is in the same boat as Justin Jefferson. Obviously not financially speaking, but I think his value has increased quite a bit. And we'll be talking about that wide receiver market in a couple of weeks as well. The highest paid tight end is technically Darren Waller after his kind of funny money extension to get him back on the field in Vegas, even though injuries kept him off the field most of the season. Um, but if you exclude him, Kelsey's here, Mark Andrews is here, George Kittle's here, obviously safe in their current contracts. TJ Hawkinson moving on from Minnesota makes the roster, and uh, I can't imagine they don't lock him down this winter. He's got the fifth-year option next year, already fully guaranteed, but probably good business to keep him around for uh, you know three more years fully guaranteed. The offensive tackles. There's, most of them are pretty well paid here, right? The right tackle, Lane Johnson, Trent Williams, the highest paid tackle in football. There's just, I'm just going to keep ringing that bell, so get used to it. And Taron Armstead in Miami, who gains an, a $650,000 bonus for this Pro Bowl selection. So already a high-paid player, getting even more bag for this selection. Laramie Tunzel is going to be entering an expiring contract. Um, you know, he's still an above-average left tackle. Yes, it's Houston. But in my opinion, that's more reason to pay him again. More reason. And I realize it was a fleece job with Bill O'Brien and that trade in the first place. But if you're bringing in a rookie quarterback next year, and I don't know why there wouldn't be, you probably want to keep a good experienced left tackle around. So he's probably getting a new contract this offseason. And then it comes down to Orlando Brown Jr., who was one of three Pro Bowl offensive linemen from the Chiefs this year. Uh, played on the franchise tag. Could be a double tag candidate. We'll see where that ends up. It's not the biggest cash payment that they'll make next offseason in Kansas City if they go that route. I don't think he's exceeded expectations since coming over from Baltimore, but obviously something's going right if three of these guys hit the Pro Bowl and the team is looking as, as they're looking right now. So probably a multi-year extension candidate, but could be a double tag candidate as well. Guards, kind of the usual suspects. You know, Joe Tooney, Quentin Nelson, the highest paid guard in football. Zach Martin from Dallas, kind of an annual tradition. Uh, Chris Lindstrom is going to get bagged from Atlanta. Similar conversation to Tunzel. They're going to bring in a rookie quarterback in Atlanta, and why not bring in one of, a pro, you know, keep a pro, go, pro guard on a what will be fifth year option in the fold? Creed Humphrey, the second round pick for the Chiefs, center makes the roster. The highest paid center in football, Frank Ragnall from Detroit, makes the roster. Let's flip to defense. The highest paid defensive end in the game, Miles Garrett, makes the roster, as does Max Crosby, who locked in a gigantic contact with, with Vegas this past offseason. A couple of 
up-and-coming extension candidates here, Nick Bosa and Brian Burns, respectively. I don't know why they'd take the field again after this season without getting a new contract. I mean, both are absolute monsters, absolute top-of-the-market players. I would imagine Bosa destroys the Miles Garrett contract, and Burns should probably be right there. If it's not at $25 million, it's $27, 28000000 $28 I think Bosa gets closer to 30 and uh, he has shown every bit of reason why this year again, by the way. So we're going to see some major movement in this market this offseason. Defensive tackles could be the same, but there's a couple of things holding them back. A, Aaron Donald, who made the Pro Bowl as the highest average paid defensive tackle in football, just going to keep saying it, is at, you know, 30. I mean, he went Mahomes when Mahomes 45 was just hanging out there. So the, the 31.6 that Aaron Donald bagged this offseason just to come back basically out of retirement, I don't think that's a real number for Jonathan, or excuse me, for Dexter Lawrence, for Jeffrey Simmons, for Quinn and Williams. They're all top of the market extensions, especially Simmons. And Quinn and Williams has gotten himself back in that conversation with a really strong Jet season. So I think all those players are at least going to sniff an extension this offseason. However, Jets, Titans, Giants, all have serious quarterback questions. All could be flipping over that position on the fly this offseason. So the teams look at those players and say, look, you got 50 options left. we got to figure out this quarterback stuff first. Then we're going to give you your bag. Stick with us on this. It's possible some of those guys may be done with that conversation. You know, You may get a trade request out of Simmons if Tennessee really thinks about blowing it all up. I think the New York guys are probably locked in on the roster, but we'll see what happens contractually with those three guys because of the lack of quarterback stability out there. Outside linebackers, TJ Watt, of course, the highest paid player at the position, makes the Pro Bowl. Micah Parsons does as well. And uh, for those of you wondering, he cannot be extended yet. One more offseason. So one more full season of Micah Parsons at ridiculous value in Dallas. The only other really contract issue here is Khalil Mack. Uh, he played his mind off since coming over from Chicago to the Chargers. Got two years left and about $47 million-ish. The caps are higher. They're 27-plus for the next two years, and there's no guarantees. So my guess is uh, they're going to keep him around because the, the idea of him and Bosa together didn't really happen this year. They want to see where that goes. So you restructure him. You extend him out a couple of years, guarantee two or three years. He's uh, 31 going on 32 here. So works for both sides. Let's lower the cap numbers and give him some guaranteed money in the back of his pocket. And then Hassan Reddick on this roster gains himself a $500,000 bonus for his efforts. Inside linebackers. What was once a dying market has been resuscitated by, you know, the, the off-ball inside linebacker, Shaq Leonard, Fred Warner, certainly C.J. Mosley a couple of years back from the Jets. Uh, Warner and Mosley make this list. And uh, Demario Davis gets an extra $500,000 for making this list. So does Roquan Smith, who was traded from the Bears to the Baltimore Ravens, is an expiring contract, might be a franchise tag candidate, but I imagine that's going to be reserved for Lamar Jackson. Um, they gave up quite a bit to bring him over there. I'm not convinced that it absolutely means they're going to pay him because they absolutely should have paid C.J. Mosley and then the Jets broke the bank free agency to make it happen. So do the Baltimore Ravens extend Roquan Smith before he's allowed to negotiate with other teams to avoid that conflict again? 
or they let him test the market, hope nobody goes $22 million a year on him, and uh, bring him back at you know the 18, 19, 20 mark that the off-ball linebackers are living at at the top of the market. We'll see. That's a fascinating one. It's been fascinating since the trade. This Pro Bowl nod obviously just c- cements the fact that somebody's going to pay him top-of-the-market money. Cornerbacks got pretty interesting. So we got two rookies here. The only two rookies on the list that I could ascertain. Sauce Gardner and Tariq Woolen, uh, Jets and Seahawks, respectively. Obviously, they're not in contract hell here. They're, uh, they're stuck in the weeds for a couple of years here. Uh, Trevon Diggs, Dallas, his second year. Excuse me, his third year. He is extension eligible after 2022. I didn't think he had the impact year he had last year, but the two-year plan, which is how we evaluate people, certainly is in his favor right now. Not so much a top-of-the-market contract, but somewhere in that you know, 16 to 18 range, which is second-tier cornerback money. Speaking of which, the top-tier, number one, highest-paid cornerback, Jair Alexander from the Green Bay Packers made this list. So yet another highest-average-paid player from a position group to talk about here. Xavier Howard re-signed after a holdout slash handshake agreement with the Miami Dolphins 18 months ago to say, look, we got to figure some things out. And uh, we're going to get you done as p- soon as possible. It just can't be the second. They did get him done. It's a good contract. Didn't have the guarantees that I thought it should have. But he got a little help today because with this Pro Bowl nod, and assuming Miami stays on the track they have, there's some team incentives built into it. He's going to gain an extra million dollars for this nod. So it's uh, a wild-worthy situation for him and what has been a very good Dolphins defense, which I think can actually get better next year with a couple of... Uh, Smaller moves this offseason. Safeties, the number one and number two highest paid. Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, in reverse order there. Uh, but Jordan Poyer is the one to talk about here. We know he restructured. He did hold out a little bit from Bill's offseason, was on the expiring contract, thought he was underpaid. He was right. <laughs> okay. He's, his value on the field was evident this year. His value when he wasn't on the field was maybe even more evident this year. Uh, the age has to get thrown out of the water at this point in time. Look, he's not going $20 million. He's not. I mean, I, nor, nor is I think he asking for $20 million, But he's asking for more than 11 He's asking for more than 10 So they may have to go up to $13, $14, 15000000 a year on a two-year, three-year extension, two years fully guaranteed, just to get him back in the door. Because if they let him get to the open market and test it, somebody's going to bag him. He's just holding too much experience and too much... Uh, uh, viability to the back end of a, of a defense right now, something that's so important with this over-the-top offense. Um, so Buffalo doesn't have a choice, in my opinion. They've been hamstrung by just a great player having a great season. And uh, injuries are a problem, but he gets an extra $500,000 for this Pro Bowl nod. That helps a little bit. He's going to get some more in terms of interception uh, incentives this year, but it won't add up to what he's worth. And uh, like I said, Buffalo's going to have to open up the bank a little bit for Poyer just to keep him in the fold next year. A couple special teamers. Justin Tucker makes the list again. Uh, the highest average paid kicker in football. He's got five years and $24 million left on his contract through 2028. There's only four players on this Pro Bowl roster that are signed through at least 2028. Justin Tucker, Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes. So... I don't know how you value your kickers, but obviously Baltimore values theirs pretty damn highly. And by the way, rightfully so. That's your Pro Bowlers. 
I got a full uh, article on SpotTrack.com that was posted tonight along with the announcement. Got all the remaining contracts for every player and the free agent year for every player as well, as long as, as long, along with some of these bonuses that I talked about. It's broken out by position, so you can get, kind of see how everything ranks. All these top average players I was talking about. And uh, the 13 players headed for unrestricted free agency next March out of these Pro Bowl rosters. Check that out right now on SpyTrack.com. So it's one of those things where you wake up in the morning and you look at your phone and you think to yourself, oh, that's interesting. And then you realize what the hell you just read. And what I just read this morning was that the Mets ripped Carlos Correa away from the Giants at $315 million. And then I got myself up and ran downstairs and opened up my computer and I digested things a bit. And I realized two things. A, 13 is greater than 12 and 350 million is greater than 315 million. So I did a double take on this one and I spoke with cousin Dan a little bit offline and just sort of tried to understand what the hell just happened. Cause Hey, the last I had read when I went to bed was that Carlos Correa's press conference slash contract announcement was being held up because of medicals. And by the way, that didn't even phase me because we see that a lot in all sports. I see it a ton in football and look, we've seen some teams back up. It, it, it's just the rite of passage, especially when you're talking about 350 million fully guaranteed, you're going to go through your due diligence. Uh, we've later learned now with some statements from Scott Boris, the agent that the giants basically said, look, we've got some concerns. We need to do some more homework on this. We aren't ready to make this official. So whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And Scott Boris, Boris basically said, your time limit is up. We, uh, we had a deal. The deal basically expired at this press conference. Either sign the dotted line and let's move forward with this plan, or I'm going to take my business and start shopping it elsewhere. Well, it didn't take long <laughs> for the Giants to pull that offer back off the table and Scott Boris to talk to Steve Cohen and say, look, is that $350 million offer still on the table? Um, or whatever it was. And it got done in hours, essentially, in a matter of hours. And we all woke up to the news. Here's my, uh, my point of caution before I start, start to dive into some of these Mets numbers. It's not official with the Mets. It is pending the physical, which means obviously they're going to go through their due diligence just as the Giants did. And it very well may get to a point where the Mets say, look, we'll make them an offer, but based on what we're seeing with the back or the, whatever the hell it is, sounds like back, it's going to be X instead of Y, or it's going to be four years instead of 12, wherever we get to, there's a chance that the medicals look as, you know, so bad that the long-term, you know, 10 year plus deal that Correa was certainly looking to get this offseason after doing the one year opt out last year just might not be feasible. And it's one of those curveballs that it happens every now and then, certainly at a position with his kind of vigorous, but we may be getting to a point right now where the Mets also look at this and say, Thanks, but no thanks. So I'm not going to, I'm going to give you the numbers as if it's all going to go through perfectly. But just understand that everybody's saying agreed for a very important reason. And by the way, get used to that. Because when we're talking trades in the NBA and NFL free agency next March and yada, yada, we, we try to be very, very careful with our tweets and with our transactions on the site to designate if it's an official signed or if it's an agreement that's in place, because if it's an agreement, 
agreements can go away and agreements can be pulled from either side. So it's rare what happened with Correa and the Giants. I'll put it that way. But $350 million is nothing to screw around with. And whatever they saw was good enough for them to say, thanks, but no thanks, Scott Boris. Go do your work elsewhere. That's Bonkersville because this is a hell of a player. So assuming everything is decent health-wise and this deal goes through, let's talk about what this means to the Mets. Um, You're probably sick of this. I follow this team A to Z, and I'm getting kind of sick of it. But when you talk about the numbers in this fashion, it's just eye-popping. It's absolutely bonkersville. I'm going to explain things as if I'm using the website because I want to. I want you guys to kind of follow with me how I've entered this information, how I'm speaking to this information based on our data, which, you know, no matter where you're looking for this stuff, this crap is crazy confusing because we're in, you know, actual versus projected. We've talking about cash payrolls versus tax payrolls. There's a lot of language that, go, that gets involved and there's like four sets of books in Major League Baseball. It's just the way of the world, right? If we're just talking about players that have actually been signed, that are officially under contract and have a base salary for 2023 for the Mets, we're at $297 million. Okay? So even that alone for what looks like 20-some players is bonkers. All right? I mean, you've got two, two you're starting two pitchers are worth $86.6 million cash this year. Not a contract. That's a salary this year. Frankie Lindor is $32 million this year. So right off the bat, you know, you've got three guys pushing you over to $120 million. Your shortstop and your top two starting pitchers. So just having that in your, that's cash. Nothing to do with tax. All right. So if you're looking at the site and you're looking at the payroll on the Mets page right now, the column that's grayed out, the column that has the gray backroom that's sort of bolded in your face, that's the payroll salary. All right. There's a cash salary. You can view that on each individual player's page. That's built into the tables we have on the profile pages. And then if you go all the way to the right on the Mets page, that's the luxury tax salary. It's the average salary, or in some cases, the option salary, based on where, where we are on a contract, for a given player in a given year. And this is the one that's finangled and finessed and why we have 13-year contracts. Because this is the salary that builds into that tax payroll where the original threshold this year is $233 million. 85% of the league is under it. There's four teams over with the Blue Jays kind of tinkering right now, kind of teetering right now right there for us. They're, they're damn close right now based on some updated numbers. So I think by the end of the day, six or seven are going to be over that threshold, but none of them <laughs> are going to approach the numbers that I'm about to tell you. Now, this is with Carlos Correa built in at 12 years, $315 million. It's also with Adam Adovino built in at a reported two years, $14.5 million. Both are agreements. Neither are official yet. Neither do we have you know, full salary breakdowns for them, but we do have the reported average salary, which we can then utilize as a tax salary based on the CBT. Factoring in 
the guaranteed contracts, those two reported contracts, the estimated arbitration salaries that we have evaluated this year, and there's about nine of them, if I'm just kind of guessing here, for the Mets, and then filling out the rest of the roster with an estimated pre-arbitration salary. It's about $800,000 around there. Those 40 players now project a $385 million for the Mets based on a $233 million projected or tax threshold, excuse me. So, you know, they're $150 million over right now. And I don't think they're done, by the way. So they're $150 million over on that. So what does that mean? Because obviously that comes with penalties. You've probably been hearing a lot of numbers and you're probably just kind of rolling your eyes and saying, sounds like a bunch of BS to me. I would be saying the same thing if I wasn't doing the math myself. Now, we don't have the precise, exact CBT tax formula. We don't have it, okay? And the reason is there's a lot of minutia that comes in the back end in September that we simply don't know about, all right? I don't have the A plus B plus C plus D formula, but I do have the majority of it figured out at this point. And Scott Allen has been a huge help with this. The math and numbers nerd inside of SpotTrack. So he has put together sort of a spreadsheet that we can basically say, throw in our number, we'll trick out the calculation, and we'll give you an estimated tax bill. As of right now, that estimated tax bill for the Mets is $113 million. That's in addition to the $385 million tax, pay- tax payroll that I just projected for you. In other words, 385 plus 113 gets you to $498 million. That's not over a couple of years. That's this year. <laughs> That's their payroll on average salaries plus the bill that are th- they're projected to pay because of the fourth tier of taxpayers plus their, be- plus their repeater. That's what the Mets are staring down right now. Steve Cohen isn't afraid of anything. Nothing right now. Is it smart? No. None of this is smart. Are the moves they're making smart? I I actually think yes. I'm not sure there's a move that they've made that on its face is stupid. And that's the part I don't think is being said out loud enough. We're all talking about the numbers. We're all talking about how, you know, the Mets are at 385 and the Pirates are at 70. And where are we? You know, the Oakland A's are at 70 and there's five teams under 100 and the Mets tax bill could cover six teams' payrolls. All facts. All crazy. The Mets aren't just throwing baloney at a wall here. Most of these signings are bringing back players that have been successful for them, especially last year. Brandon Nimmo, Edmund Diaz. It, it's a good move. Now, they've let a, pit, a couple of pitchers walk. Okay. And they're taking an injury age risk on Verlander instead of DeGrom at less term and less total cap. They're taking a flyer on the Japanese player, Kode Senga, that, you know, the fact that he can throw 100 million plus is going to be enough to start as a starting point, And they'll teach him how to p- throw the rest of the pitches, right? Because <laughs> he he's, he's a fascinating enough athlete and he's had enough success in the, in the Japanese baseball league to warrant $15 million a year on, on the Mets for the next five years. They brought in some veteran catcher experience in Omar Navarez. And then there's Correa. 
And this is the first one that I would say, I just don't know. And I'm not even talking about the medicals and the injury. And, you know, you know me in 12-year-plus contracts. It's just not where I sit. But I'm not the guy with a $500 million tax payroll right now. Steve Cohen is. And he still said yes to this. And he said yes knowing he has Lindor and that Cray would have to play third. And maybe that's part of the plan. Maybe that's going to ease his injury concern for a player like Correa. Though I think the the way that the swing looks could be more of the problem. But this seems like an extra scoop of ice cream on top of the Sunday that's already been built. If I have to say it out loud. I'm happy as hell that this is at least a perspective situation. And again, it's not my money. But this one seems like we're doing whatever it takes to not only shake things up and to not only build a super roster, but to actually rub it in a little bit too. Now, Cray is a hell of a player. And he's going to fix some things in the middle of the lineup. But if the Mets don't also subtract two or three players here, to me, it's just reckless. Up until this point, I, I have I could find a calculated value for every move they've made. Every single one. Quintana, every single move. Out, bringing out a veto back, even at the price that might be a little bit high for him and his age. There's a calculated move to it. There's a baseball move for it. You know, lefties versus righties. Better defense versus non-better defense. Verlander's two-year term versus, you know, five for DeGrom. There's always a oh, but, oh, but, and oh, by the way. Nimmo's intangible. This is the one, Correa, that if he's not 100% healthy and then there's any kind of concern about him, his body breaking down within reason over the next, you know, five to six years, which is half of the contract, this one would, this one would scare me for sure. Because if you're willing to spend money, you don't have to do it all in one year. You know, now there's not going to be a Cray available every free agency. I understand that. This is a very lucrative offseason. I've been talking about it for months in, the, in that regard. But I'm a little concerned that they're putting way too many eggs into this basket at one time. But I get it and I love it. And it was a very nice December 20th Christmas present to me. We'll see if it becomes official. Just keep that in mind. But as for now, projected numbers. $385 million on the tax, $113 million tax bill, $500 million just for 2023 for the New York Mets. Hopefully it translates to a hell of a lot of wins on the field. <laughs> okay, that's it for me. Everybody have a great holiday. I'll be back probably in about a week, about Tuesday, Wednesday next week, maybe, maybe Monday if we're uh, settling down holiday-wise with the kids. But enjoy week 16 of the NFL during your holidays. Um, enjoy the basketball. Obviously, it's that time of year again. Keith Smith is, by the way, working on a top 10 trade candidate piece for us, which should post right along these Christmas Day games. Um, and by the way, I think plenty of names that are playing on Christmas Day are going to be involved in that list. And uh, we'll be back with all of it. Some NBA, maybe some more baseball news, although it usually quiets down for the holidays. And certainly the uh, end of the regular season for the NFL. 
because that means roster bubbles and trade candidates and extension candidates and franchise tag candidates and the work just never stops over here have a great holiday we will be talking to you soon for scott allen my name is mike Gennetti. thanks for listening to this edition of the spot track podcast